On today's episode, we talk with Brian Bender, the head men's basketball coach at Southwest Mississippi Junior College. When I first met Brian, he was on staff at the University of Minnesota with Coach Tubby Smith, and since then, he's made a variety of stops around the country. From App State to some of the top junior colleges, Brian has made a name for himself as not only one of the top recruiters in the country, but as one of the rising stars within the industry. What I personally really enjoy about Brian is his level of authenticity and his desire to lead. You know, the coaching industry is one where it's very easy for us to get caught up in X's and O's and recruiting, but Coach Bender has been very intentional about not only growing as a leader himself, but also helping build up leaders around him. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. But first, this podcast is brought to you by The Film Room, a free coaches educational platform by Catalyst Training. The Film Room offers skill development breakdowns, team drills, set plays, offensive and defensive system breakdowns, a guest blog, and so much more. Make sure you join our email list so that you don't miss out on any of our new content. For more information on how to do that, visit basketballcatalyst.com slash filmroom. Here's Brian Bender. All right, we're here with Coach Brian Bender. Coach, as we get started, I do need to get something out of the way. You know, being a diehard Badger fan, you're a gopher guy. Do you have anything you would like to throw at me about the gopher butt whooping on Wednesday before we get started? <laughs> well, they always said, you know, when I went to the University of Minnesota, I'm a Wisconsin guy, but I ended up going to Minnesota. You know, I wanted to get far away from home and go to a, a, the biggest school I could, and that was Minnesota, uh, and not pay out of my butt, you know. But for me, yeah, I'm a gopher through and through. You know, I'm alum there twice, got my master's degree there in undergrad, and, you know, no matter what happens, you know, whenever we play Wisconsin, we want to beat them. And um, football, you guys got the best of us. But this year, you know, basketball, we got you. So uh, we'll, we'll take it anytime we can beat Wisconsin. I'm all about it. Well, it was funny because I, I'm from Minnesota and I'm a diehard Badger fan. So I guess we're both kind of traitors to the state. But I went to the game on Wednesday and Wisconsin's got more Minnesota guys in their starting lineup than Minnesota has on their <laughs> roster, I think. And I walked in yeah. with, with Jared Bergeron and, and John Luer, and I think it was their first, you know, Wisconsin game at the barn since they were players. And it's about 14 feet worth of guys walking in right there, and everyone was staring at him. I was just like, well, at least the eyes aren't on me for being a traitor. But, you know, you, you talked about, you know, spending time at the University of Minnesota. I met you when you were on staff there. You've had a variety you had a variety of positions or roles that you had there under you know a couple of coaches give me a, a sense of you know what inspired you to get into the business did you always want to be a coach or did you just kind of hop in there and say I want to stay involved in basketball kind of tell me about that yeah so since I was a kid I knew I always wanted to be you know a coach um, on what scheme or what level um, didn't know it was really feasible um, but I also knew I wanted to be an educator. So I went to college as a freshman, as an elementary ed major, uh, knowing that I wanted to get like a coaching minor or something along those lines. And my first couple weeks um, in school, I had to take this one credit course. And it was on like, you know, it was choosing your major. And I thought I knew what I wanted to do and things like that. And my dream was always to coach college basketball, but it wasn't wasn't feasible. And in the book, basically – it was telling you, hey, chase your dream regardless of money. You know, whatever it is, you should go do whatever it is that you love the most and what you have a passion for. And I had already tried to work with the basketball team that summer 
um, you know, was told no a couple of times and, you know, I'm a pretty persistent person. And so when I read, when I read that chapter in the book, I was like, I'm going to go do this. Like, I know I want to work for the basketball team. I know I want to coach college basketball. I'm going to put, you know, two feet forward and try and do the best I can to get involved with the basketball program. So after about like four or five times of going to the basketball office and being told no, they basically said, Hey, just stop coming. Like, let me see your class schedule. You can come to practice. We're not going to pay you anything. You know, you're sure you can come to practice and work with our team. And it was a few weeks before um, October practices started at that time. And, um, you know, I've never looked back and, you know, I've been pretty fortunate in my 15 years in college basketball to do a lot of really cool things, but it all got started at the University of Minnesota. I'm very grateful for the coaching staffs that I work for there. I work for three different staffs with Van Munson first, my freshman year, and part of my sophomore year. And then Jim Molinari is interim for about a half a year. And then Tubby Smith came for those six years that I spent with him in a variety of roles as manager, GA, um, video coordinator, and just wore every single hat that probably could be um, on that staff. Yeah, you're kind of the utility infielder in a sense. You know, you <laughs> could do it all, could do it all. <laughs> yeah. So, spent almost a decade there and met a lot of people and experienced a lot of, you know, ups and downs um, throughout the whole program. It was, it's a pretty cool experience. No, definitely. I think talking to anytime you have an alum of an institution that's been there for a while, my wife was at Liberty University, got her master's there, and ended up being there for six and a half years. So you see changes. At, at an institution, you see growth, you go through, you know, any time, any emotional, the good times, the bad, there's definitely a connection. Um, but, you know, you said you were, you're wearing multiple hats. You know, I know that you end up after, after being with the Gophers, you, is that when you, you went to West Plains, correct? Yep. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, that the junior college level, now you're able to do a little bit more coaching. You did maybe more than you were able to do at the University of Minnesota. You do the Dobo stuff for a little bit after that. You know, talk a little bit about some of the things that you learned, how you how you grew to the point that you are, you know, at today through some of those experiences that maybe weren't as, you know, exciting things at the time. Yeah, so my journey's unique. You know, I'm a guy who didn't play college basketball, and it's very hard. It's a very selective business. In my current position, you know, I'm a head coach at a junior college, Division One junior college in a lot of places, Mississippi. School's called Southwest Mississippi Community College. But the story on how I got here is so crazy. Um, you know, started at Minnesota. While I was at Minnesota, we had, you know, a pretty good coaching staff with Toby Smith and lots of guys that, you know, were involved with jobs. And, you know, if any of them ever got a job at the time, um, I feel like I could have stayed in Division One and been able to, you know, be a D1 assistant or a director of operations uh, right out of college. And for me, you know, we didn't ever have any movement. And so it's tough. You know, a lot of movement occurs internally and you have a chance to move up and grow. And while I was at Minnesota, I probably interviewed at 20 different places. You know, I'm talking NAIA jobs. I'm talking high school head coaching jobs. I was division two assistant. I drove down to Oklahoma, drove like 14 hours and drove back the next day. You know, I had a division two interview as an assistant. And I interviewed uh, as operations guy, you know, all over the country. And I kept getting told the same things. It was, hey, yeah, you've been on a coaching staff, but have you really coached? You know, you haven't mm -hmm. recruited. How, how are you going to give you a coaching position when you haven't recruited? And after a while, that gets old. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always thought that you could do it. But until you do it, people don't believe you. And so it's like almost a catch-22. Oh, yeah, you need your first job. you got to have experience. 
but it's, you know, no one will give you that chance. And so you got to find different ways at the division one level. It's hard because you only have so many guys that can do certain things. Yeah. Only so many guys can be on the court. Only so many guys can uh, be out recruiting and there's reasons for those rules, but they also inhibit younger coaches to gain experience. So, you know, after Tubby got let go uh, at Minnesota and went to Texas tech, there was an opportunity to go there and, you know, do some type of, you know, non-coaching position again. And it was good money and things, but, I wanted to coach and I knew I wanted to coach. And at a younger age, you got to make some sacrifices when, you know, money matters, but at the same time, like experience does too. And so Missouri state West Plains had in a volunteer assistant spot paid $0 to coach basketball. And, uh, but there's opportunities to do other things to make enough money, um, to, you know, live. So I was a dorm director at a (laughs) local, local, uh, apartment complex or dorm, I guess. Um, I taught six hours each semester. I ran the study hall program for all student athletes on campus so I could coach. Yeah. And I would trade it for the world. Um, I spent 11 months there. Coach Yancey Walker gave me my first chance. There's a player, Paul Carter, who played at Minnesota, uh, who went to school there. So we kind of knew their coaching staff, and I was able to get on and work with them. And, um, you know, we had a really good basketball team. We ended up having. Uh, 12 guys signed Division One off that team. Uh, got to meet hundreds of coaches when coming into your gym. You learn how to coach and recruit, get your reps, um, and then you're also getting recruited because we had, you know, a bunch of guys being recruited at high levels. You know, mm-hmm. UTSA, we had a couple of kids go play for Tubby at Texas Tech, you know, Texas State, Niagara. You know, we were sending guys all over the United States. So I was meeting all these different coaches, uh, but getting reps, just like a player, you need practice you need practice getting those reps. And um, that's where I kind of, you know, evolved a little bit as a coach and you're starting to figure out your identity. And, you know, yeah, you work out players. Yeah, you do different things. But when you're actually on the floor teaching, um, you need that experience. And so that one year there, and then it was, hey, you know, maybe it's time to get back into Division One. And there was a coach that um, I did an internship while I was in college with USA Basketball. And Bob McKillop, the head coach at Davidson, mm-hmm. was the head coach. And Anthony Grant was an assistant, John Thompson III. And met a lot of coaches through it in relationships. But the top assistant at Davidson, uh, his name was Jim Fox. Uh, got to know him a little bit through Villa 7 and, you know, through some film exchange and things. Um, you know, they, they beat Wisconsin too, right? They beat Wisconsin-Davidson, Steph Curry years ago. Um, but keep, you know, that's not, we're not talking Fox. about that. Keep, keep going. You know, You're on gotta, a roll. You got to get it in there. <laughs> keep, get it in there. Just shut uh, up and no. keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so coach Fox and I, you know, became pretty close over time and, um, he didn't have a huge circle, uh, coaching wise cause he had only been at one place at Davidson for 14, 15 years. Yeah. And so got on staff with him and I was the director of operations. And so that title there is one where, Hey, you're basically the next assistant in the waiting. Yep. And uh, got to run the program, you know, do everything so the head coach could coach. And, uh, you know, ran the budget, did community service stuff, did a lot of marketing, did a lot of film. You know, you're understaffed at those lower to mid majors where you don't, you get to do a lot more. Um, and then it was another coach to learn from. And the Davidson system is very complex and one of the best in the country offensively. So, you know, Tubby was a defensive guy. Jim Molinari was a defensive guy. You know, my JUCO experience was a little combination of both, but Coach Fox was an offensive coach and a really good scouter. Yeah. Uh, we had the most intense scouting reports you could ever imagine. And so learning um, through someone else, and I was there for three years. And uh, it was at the point where, 
you know, I still want to coach. And again, there's no movement. And, you know, I wanted to take it in my own hands. And there was a guy who actually worked Tubby Smith basketball camps years ago um, that we stayed in contact. His name was Thomas Gray. And we knew each other for about 10 years. And uh, Andy Farrell was his assistant. And when I was leaving West Plains, he tried to hire me the first time when he got the job. And I was like, no, I'm going back to Division One. I. I was all excited. And um, I said, this is a good guy that you could look into. And Andy Farrell was that guy. And he worked for three years, and now he's at Dayton on staff there, top 10 team in the country right now, and helping out a lot with their staff. And, um, but went to Mississippi, of all places. And it was a Division One junior college. And I would have been a, I was going to be a full-time assistant coach. And I only had to teach one class. And, you know, it was one of these things where it was a, you know, it was a $12,000 pay cut, but it was getting me back on the floor in a location where um, I knew Coach Gray was a really good young up-and-coming coach. And he told me before he took, I took the job that, hey, I probably won't be here long. You know, it might be a one- or two-year deal. And if you're the coach and we do a good job, you know, there's a good chance that you become a head coach in a year. Lo and behold, Kermit Davis gets an Ole Miss job. Kermit Davis used to coach at this school, um, Southwest Mississippi, and um, hired Thomas as his operations guy. And all of a sudden, I was a head coach. And while I was at Southwest as an assistant, I did every single scout. So we played, I think, 26 games that year. And, you know, every single one was mine. Most of the times, you alternate between your two, three assistants. Every single one, I did it. Um, we signed 12 players that year. So I got to get out and recruit and do different things. And then I all of a sudden became a head coach. And you think you're ready. You are never ready. Um, you know, sliding that chair, you oh, yeah, I could do that. And it's easy when you're an assistant or, you know, on staff or even a fan of like, hey, I could do that. I, you know, I can't believe they didn't do this. Well, you know, add a thousand things going through your head at one time and becoming a head coach. And I'm currently the youngest head coach in our league. Um, learned a lot. Um, grown a lot in the last year and a half. I'm on year two now. And uh, wouldn't have trade any experience, you know. Obviously, Mississippi is not a place that I ever thought I'd live, but, you know, the journey of going from Minnesota to Missouri to North Carolina to Mississippi, and, you know, now I've lived in almost, you know, four different regions of the United States and been at different levels, and we've had a lot of success here, um, not only just winning-wise, but, you know, getting guys in the next level. Last year, we had eight players signed to four-year schools, six went to Division One, five freshmen, which led the United States. And we don't even have full scholarships. And so we've done a really good job with less here. Um, and the year before that, we had five Division One players. And this year, I think I'll have seven. So, you know, it's it's been exciting to meet a lot of different people and, and change a lot of lives through the game. And it's brought me, you know, anywhere and everywhere around the United States and even the world and able to travel through it. But it's been a great experience. It's been a great journey. Worn a lot of hats, made a lot of sacrifices. And... Uh, I'm excited to continue to grow and learn and at a young age. And it's always good to have head coaching on your resume someday. So when I do get back to Division One, and, uh, you know, having a head coaching experience is really going to help me long term. Totally. You know, you talk about those sacrifices. You know, I was at four schools in seven years, obviously not at the Division One level, but, you know, Division Three, NAIA, where you just you, you get stuck doing everything. Um, I get asked a lot right now about – social media and, and video editing and people are like man how did you learn how to do that and i'm like well try being handed a, a camera and a computer in 2008 <laughs> yep. and told to f figure it out 
Like you just become, I mean, whether it's, Hey, right now I, I you got guys that are taking Photoshop classes and, and they're, they're taking, you know, all these different things because you got to make edits because it's 2020. You, you have to, you have to learn how to do stuff. You can't just coach. And so there are those sacrifices that you have to make along the way to, to get to where you're at. And, you know, I think in, you know, in doing that, you're, you're forced to make tough decisions. I know you're married. Um, you got, you have family in a you know, specific area of the States. And now you have a, a job that's saying, Hey, I got to go away from family. And now I might have to pull my wife away. You know, how, how do you handle that? How do you separate some of that, that work and your goals, but also your personal life? How are they separate? How are they intertwined? Yeah, there's so much value in having, you know, I hate the word value. I would say there's, I'm extremely blessed and grateful to have the wife that I have. Um, and also her family understands the sacrifices that, you know, she makes and we make as a decision as a family to do what I love. You know, in, in essence, that's a little selfish. Um, she's very fortunate to have a really good job and she can move and works remote uh, most of the time and can work from home. So, you know, we found a way to make all these sacrifices work, but you know, you can't necessarily stop love. You know, I love her to death and she understands um, what I love and my passion and she's along for the journey for whatever that entails. Um, yeah. You make incredible sacrifices, but at the same time, she knew that going in, you know, that, Hey, you know, I'm not probably, always going to be here and there's a good chance that we move, you know, it's harder. I think on the family at times, um, you know, having Midwest people, like my family's a little different. Um, I got family still in Wisconsin, Illinois, Missouri. My brother lives in Portland, Oregon. And my sister lives in Florida. And so we've all kind of gone elsewhere. Um, so it's not out of the norm. For her, she's a Minnesota girl, <laughs> born and raised. And every single one of her family members lives in Minnesota in some metro or, you know, within two hours of the cities. And, uh, you know, it, it presents its challenges. But at the same time, um, they understand. And they're huge supporters and, and are you know, I'm very thankful to have her family be a part of you know my family and you miss small things here and there, but you know, technology, like you were saying, allows you to do these things and FaceTimes, the, you know, you're a part of a lot of different things and texting and group chats and Snapchats. And, you know, you're constantly communicating with people um, in the family and she's always on the phone with them and stuff. And then whenever we have time off, you know, we try and spend it there. Uh, we may, we take our own vacations here and there, but you know, the fortunate thing in Mississippi is, we have a long break over Christmas, you know, three weeks. I came and saw you and, you know, her family was been able to have those breaks. And then same thing in the summertime, you know, we don't do a lot in May or June. And so you're able to do some things. But I think until we have a family of our own, you know, it is a family, you know, having a husband and a wife, but, you know, your partner, but they, until you add a kid into that mix, uh, I think it, you know, it, it kind of makes it work as, as adults. Um, but when you start adding other parties into it, you know, but it's also part of life. You know, you make sacrifices and, you know, that's what marriage is about. And I've been very lucky you yeah. know, that she understands it. And she stuck by me through and through. And, you know, it hasn't been easy. I think she screams more at games than I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because you know, she wants to have the success and be a part of it. But, you know, it takes a special woman to be a coach's wife. And I've been very fortunate uh, to have her. Yeah. I, you know, I think about, um, you know, my dad was a high school coach, but seeing my mom, uh, support my dad. Um, and I think there's a lot of, a lot of great examples of making it work. 
I spent a year at Minnesota State Moorhead, and I just saw the other day that Coach Lockway, the football coach, who I think is awesome and like is a great leader. Uh, I think they just he and his wife just had their eighth kid, and like you think, oh man, I I can't be a coach and have a family. Like, yeah, that's not the case. You just have to prioritize and be able to do things the right way. I think Philip Rivers does he have like eight or nine kids? Like these guys that have crazy work schedules and are gone all the time, but still manage to keep their families together. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, it's, they're, there's, they're not lacking in, in work and, and putting, putting an effort towards that. Um, and I, th- I think that's important. Yeah. I, going off what you just said. So finding ways to try and be present um, is something that a word, you know, it's, I'm a distracted person. You know, I always got my cell phone, you know, TV on, you know, I'm a terrible multitasker. If you're, if I'm not paying attention, I'm going to look like a jerk and feel like you're not, I'm not listening. Um, you know, but it, when you find routines and communication, it helps when you are, we tell our team and our program to become master communicators, tell people how you're doing, tell people how you're feeling and you know, what's going on and always kind of prioritize what it is. When people say they don't have time to do things, that's absolutely nonsense. You know, you prioritize your time, you make time. You know, wake up a little bit earlier, do a little bit more, um, you know, figure it out. And, you know, sometimes in season is actually easier because you have more routine with recruiting and, you know, these are when our games are and you can kind of plan things out and dinners and stuff. But the key is, you know, obviously with any person that you have, you got to make them feel special. But being present in your time is really all she really wants. And, you know, that's the key as a coach is be present for your kids and your family and, you know, do things when other people are sleeping. You know, sacrifice your time and prioritize and, um, you know, don't waste time. You know, you have an, you've had an opportunity to do it and you're doing what you love at the cost of, you know, time. So you just got to maximize that time the best that you can. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. My, my wife used to work when we lived in New York City, worked in reality TV. So there's shows like Pawn Stars and different things from like a production side. And so she loves TV, not just like from an entertainment standpoint, but she worked in it. So she understands it. So one of the things that we do at the end of the week is we, we like to watch some shows. We like to show a million little things and Chicago PD, but on YouTube right now, you're going to, you're going to chuckle at this. Justin Bieber has started to release like this mini documentary series. They're like 12 minute episodes, but she worked in that industry. And so she's intrigued by it. So we've been watching those. And I, and it was, and they're, and they're actually really good. He's in the studio trying to record an album and his wife is there all the time hanging out. And she's like, I'm so proud of him. Like, I want to be, I want to be a part of this. And Bieber is like, I told her the other day to go, go home and shower and get ready to go out to eat. But I said it so I could finish the song because I'm nervous when she's here, man. Like, and, 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 and I get a chuckle out of that, but the fact that she's on board and like, no, I want to help him. I want to support him in his passions. Um, I think that's how successful marriages are, but I'm watching it and I'm thinking like every strong and successful marriage that I know that is involved in coaching has that. Like when, when I go win a bait, like where, when I go get a, a high level NBA client, like I had Jake Lehman from the Timberwolves in, and I think my wife was maybe more excited than I was when he hit me up. And, and I, there's something like that's super cool about that. I think I get more excited about my wife's success sometimes than she does. And I think that's what makes it work. Yep. Yep. The support system is so important. Um, and, you know, if 
you guys both support each other in different ways is is what makes it special. Totally. You know, it's kind of segue segueing to a different topic. You know, you talk about learning from a lot of great coaches, Dan Munson, Tubby Smith, you know. Do you have a couple like, you know, kind of aha moments or big things that have just stuck with you? Um, I know like I work with Jared Berger and he talked on our last episode about Bo Ryan, some of the things that Bo said that he's like, dude, that shaped my coaching career, my playing career, my as a husband, all of that. Do you have anything that kind of sticks out as some of the lessons that you've learned? Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, take home points and different quotes and things that you use. Um, but so much about this business is what you learn um, is you have to enjoy the staff that you're on Yep. because you guys all have to be on the same page. So I would say, you know, loyalty and trust are absolute number one. Um, you could know nothing, but if you're a loyal person and trustworthy person and you work hard and, you know, they, they ask you to do something and you go and you do it and you do it to the best of your ability, be the best version of yourself, that leads to success and people are going to give you more. Um, you know, be a master in your role is something that I would say is, you know, obviously everyone has ideas um, and learning it more as a head coach is that, you know, there's a time and a place for those ideas and you don't always want, you know, yes men, but at the same time, like you're all wanting the same things. And so if you're all on the same page, it helps so much to have a successful staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, inner, inner issues will kill your staff. Yep. You know, having one person that's, you know, it's like cancer, you know, you got to cut it out. One bad egg can ruin a bunch, you know. And the one thing I will say that I probably didn't understand fully is, you know, you have to do everything you can to serve your head coach all the time um, and make their life easier. And even though the smallest little things, like anything you can try and handle without them needing to know or um, having to ask all the time is so extremely important in the value of time of your head coach. And that's something that I didn't really realize is that, you know, every person comes to you with three to five things and all of a sudden players and you get nothing done as a head coach. Yep. And so finding ways to understand that, I think that your staff is like a family. You know, that was what Tubby Smith was the best at is he understood family. He would always ask me, hey, what's going on with so-and-so? How's your mom? How's your, you know, how's your sister? You know, I saw your brother the other day. And, you know, the fact that he's got a million things going on and he made me feel valued as an employee or as you know, someone that works with you, um, he didn't have to do that. And so that's what makes different people special um, is making family a priority and understanding that, hey, your job is to help build young men. But if you're not stable, you can't take care of yourself. Like we're going to have issues. So we got to make sure that we're taking care of everything around us first. Um, you know, and then relationships on campus are so important, I think, too. Um, you learn that sometimes, you know, some of the things that you learn, too, are negative things. So, you know, what goes around comes around. You got to make sure that everyone's getting along, that, you know, the relationships, how you talk to people in the cafeteria people or the janitors or, you know, your facilities, your women's basketball staff that you work with, those relationships are so valuable because it's a people business, not a basketball business. And then understanding you got to have thick skin, you know, in the heat of battle, you know, I'm trying to get better at this too, is, you know, things are said and things are done. And, you know, in the heat of the moment, you got to understand that, you know, there's no excuse for it. And people are working on it. Um, but if you have sensitive skin in this business, you're in trouble. You know, if you're not coachable and teachable, you're in trouble. Um, and you have to love what you do. You know, that would be the one thing is all the people that I work for, I think they've genuinely loved what they do. 
and it, it shows. One of the things that, that sticks out with me, you know, or to me is my dad once told me, read it. You don't always learn what to do. Sometimes the most important lesson that you learn is what not to do. And so you talk about those relationships. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's a people business, um, relationship business and, and paying attention and learning. You know, I, I joke when I work with little kids or anybody like, Hey, watch the person in front of you. So if they make a mistake that you don't make that mistake, you don't make the same one. but yeah. that's, a, that's like being an adult. Hey, guess what? The knucklehead <laughs> over here did something stupid. Let me learn from that so that I don't do that. Um, I know a lot of coaches, um, that, kind of get stuck in this like oh i've worked for this guy for so long okay how would so and so handle it like no i don't care how so and so would handle it how brian how are you going to handle it um and and learning some of those lessons and and you talk about tubby building into you um i think it's coaches you know coaches people players like we don't care how much you know until we know how much you care and you understood that tubby cared about you uh, he built into you. So now your job as the head coach is to help build into these young men. And we talked about that a little bit when he, you were here just after Christmas. But, you know, what are some relationship building things with your players and your staff that you are intentional about? Yeah. So we talk about intention versus intentional. And what are you doing? And I think that all comes down to trust and care. Um, like you just said, you know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. And um, you got to show investment in your human beings. Um, there's a lot of different types of people, but understanding what people need, not only as players, but as human beings is a valuable life skill. And, you know, people that understand that will have jobs for life. People pay people to do what we do as coaches every single day in the corporate world of understanding, you know, what type of people are you dealing with? How can you teach them why it's important? How can you, you instill values that they can use the rest of their life? Um, and that's our job as coaches to instill those values and value-based behaviors and reward those rather than making it about winning all the time or, you know, what can I get out of you or what are you doing for me uh, type of thing that can go into you get caught up when you're trying to win. Um, and so what is your intention? Like you were saying, what is, what is important to you? What do you value? And when you know what that is, you're starting to build a culture and people start in your organization, good leaders, you know, produce, you know, more leaders instead of more people that are just do what they're supposed to do all the time. Um, and that's so it's incredibly hard to do. And there's no magical book you can read or solution that you can have because every person is different. And once you understand that, um, and understand how to see through different people, um, your initial point of contact with these human beings, you know, they're, they're people, they're kids. And if, if you don't know what's going on in their life, it's hard to coach them. If you don't understand how they're going to receive what you say, um, you know, and sometimes that gets old, but you have to understand different people and motivate them in different ways. And, you know, there's a lot of different types of people, you know, there's people that are going to do everything you ask them to, they're, you know, those great kids, you know, the favorites, the teacher's pets, you know, they're all in, you know, there's people that, you know, are quick to make excuses or get defensive. So how do you coach those types of people? You got people that are just waiting till things get easy and then they're going to start doing it. You know, you got people that are just ready to quit. 
And if you can coach all four types of people, you can find ways to, you know, get through to different people in different ways. And there's so many tools and tactics that you can use. But at the end of the day, um, you you got to understand your level of influence and what's going to move and tick these people. And wherever you live, it's different too. You know, there's so much that oh yeah that goes into that. Totally. I mean, in talking about like for me growing up in Minnesota, I spent time in Iowa and New York City, Long Island, New Jersey, and and trying to like figure out how people ticked, um, what what made them what made them go like I, I was, I got out to New York and I had people think that I was a scammer that I was trying to, to be shady. Cause I was so nice and they weren't used to it. Like, well, they hit that on the head, right? <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> totally right. Scammer guy. <laughs> like, yeah, nope. no, but they'd be like, dude, you're not from around here. I'm like, why? And they're like, cause you're nice. <laughs> and I would laugh and I'm like, wait yeah. a minute. These people like Brian Bender think that I am shady because I'm a nice guy. Yep. That's what you're saying, right? Yep. <laughs> no, but so you, nah, you have, I'm just messing with you. Uh, no, the, Minnesota nice, man. Minnesota nice. You, you, you adapted, you know, but yeah, you move to different regions in the country and you go to different places in the world and people have, you know, their perceptions of what you are and who you are yeah. but until they actually get to know you as a person and, and know what you really value. Um, I value people. I value love. I value trust. And, you know, the one thing that I'll tell kids when I recruit them is, you know, your future's nothing to gamble with. You can, you know, give them all the facts of like, oh, we got the highest GPA in the country and we've got 23 guys in Division One in three years. And you could go through all these facts. But at the end of the day, like, you're investing in this person. And I'll mm-hmm. say, yeah, you might find some guys that can coach better than me. You might find some guys that might know a few more people or, or whatever, or might have a better dorm room, but you won't find anyone that will care more about you as a human being in your future. Yep. And, you know, when you get that, you get the chills going, and you, you know, but I believe that. I genuinely believe that. And I think that's what's gotten me where I am is, you know, I love people. And that's why I'm in this business. You're in it for the right reasons. And that's why you've had the success you have is, you know, you're talking about all these clients that you have, you know, it's because people say good things about you. And if you take care of the job that you have, just like you've done, and, you know, I've been able to grow in this business. That's where we make a difference. You know, every day you're making a difference in people's lives and you got to remember that, remember that purpose, remember that why of what it is. And one of the things that we do in our program, you know, we have our cultural values and things, but our word for the year is grateful. And, you know, before, since break, we've, we've come back, you know, it's an acronym. So the G is grit, the R is respect, the E is, or the A I gotta learn how to spell, you know, down here in Mississippi <laughs> for a little bit. No, good. The A, the A is attitude. The T, the T um, is toughness. You know, the E is is effort. You know, the F is future because these kids here they're not here for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, the U is unity, and L is love, lead, learn. But we do a grateful walk every day um, before we practice. We walk around the gym one time, and we think about what we're thankful for. Gives them a little sense of purpose. Uh, give them a little sense of, you know, what are you thankful for? What do you appreciate? You know, what are you doing this for? It kind of refocuses their brain um, into what we're trying to get accomplished every single day. And, you know, they laugh about it. And it's funny, like, they'll be like, random, like the janitor will be like in there cleaning and they'll like grab the guy and make him do the lap around the gym. You know, our athletic trainer, well, people come watch practices. We had like Kennesaw State was in the other day. We made them do the, the grateful walk with us. So it's like they kind of joke about it. It's kind of corny, but this stuff works. And, and they've bought into what we're trying to do here. And, uh, you know, it's really benefited our program 
this year with knowing that everybody is is all into what we're trying to accomplish and you know being grateful for what we have every single day and that purpose that why is what we talk about and you know figure out what you you were you were just saying like figure out what makes them tick figure out what makes them go figure out what that carrot is to make them continue in the race and um you know every day you're just trying to make a difference yeah i i love that i actually been talking i've been using the word grateful quite a bit you know had had a uh a little guy that I work with whose dad just passed away. And I had like a second cousin that passed away. All these things just keep happening and difficult times. And you're like, Hey, I, you know, I want to talk to some of the kids that I work with about being grateful. And I'm working with a youth program and I'm talking to them. I just say, Hey, let's, let's talk about this. So for you to come here to play basketball and we literally listed like 30 things that need to happen. Okay, we got to have a youth organization. We need parent volunteers. We need to get jerseys. We need to collect fees. We got to have meetings, right? You got to reserve the gym. Next thing you know, you get like 30 things down and people go, holy smokes. Like there's a lot that goes into this. And and the the whole objective was to show these people that, hey, you have to be, you have to be grateful. And I want you to go through the next week and find, see if you can say thank you to somebody a hundred times. And when you start doing that, you have this, this attitude of gratefulness and you start actually hunting and seeking out moments of opportunities to be thankful and to say thank you. It, it changes your life uh, because you're, you're more aware of those, I think, of those blessings that are right in front of you. Yeah, with our generation, we fight a lot of different things. Number one would be entitlement and you know, there was an article that was trending around for a little bit over the last couple of weeks about, you know, everyone doesn't deserve a trophy type thing. You know, but the article was talking about, you know, self-awareness and entitlement, how they go hand in hand. And with, you know, back in our day, you know, we're, we're, we're getting old now, but <laughs> yes. we would say you know, back in our day, you know, we had, you know, parents that instilled values and you would go and you'd work for things and, you know, chasing that American dream and you're doing what we love and we're, Vic, we're, you know, results of that. And now today, um, there's so many more avenues of receiving gratification so much with social media that the self-awareness of like, how good are you really? If you can go anywhere and receive praise and, you know, instant gratification of, Hey, I'm doing the right things from your friends, you know, social media, the likes, the favorites, the retweets, you know, all that stuff. But in reality, like only the people really around you all the time know what's going on. But if you refuse that truth or don't listen to that truth and aren't grateful for what you have, and you could just, you know, go to turn to other avenues to receive your, you know, praise, rather than be told the truth, that's where we end up with, you know, issues with our society. And so, you know, for us as leaders and coaches and different people, it's like there are a lot of things that go into what we do. And you know, but it takes an army, you know, you don't do things by yourself. And that's the best thing about the game of basketball is it's a team sport. You know, as you're talking about this, we talked when you came after Christmas about happiness and controlling your your own happiness. And I think we live in a society that we, we are driven by what other people think. Um, and I, you challenged me on some stuff um, about like how I don't, you know, I let people, control my happiness from time to time that that don't really matter that shouldn't take up that space you know so for you what what drives your happiness 
you know, what are some things, you know, how do you take control of, of that as that specific aspect of your life? Yeah. No one really understands anyone's specific story. And, you know, that's what you need to understand with people is you don't always know what's going on, you know? So there are so many things that go into controlling what you can control, but I genuinely believe that you do control your own happiness because of how you perceive things, you know, what your attitude's like, what your effort is like. I mean, you truly control it. You know, yes, a lot of hard things happen and we go through a lot of, you know, heartbreak and, you know, negative things and times of struggle. But when we face that adversity, you know, you can make excuses, you can, or you can keep pushing forward. You can keep trying to do what you believe and, and, you know, keep doing what you're supposed to do. Um, but you can control that. You know, what is, what is your why? We've, we've heard so much in the last two weeks about Kobe Bryant, you know, chasing your dreams, doing what makes you happy, um, you know, being the best version of yourself, falling in love with the process rather than, um, you know, just worrying about, you know, the result, you know, surrounding yourself with people that make you better, mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with, you know, you get to control who you hang out with, you, you get to control who you associate yourself with, you know, and then one guy that I've really enjoyed um, reading about and, you know, different things that he does is Alan Stein, yeah. you know, similar stuff to what you do, um, where his main thing, he talks about performance gaps, you know, every decision you make either gets you closer or further from your goals. Well, what decisions are you making every day? When things aren't going your way, how do you handle it? Do you work harder or do you shut down? You know, so you get to control that happiness. What makes me happy? You know, I get to do what I love every single day. I don't feel like I work. You know, I get to change lives every day. I get to be around the game that I love more than anything. That's basketball. You know, I know I wasn't good enough to play. You know, I can still shoot with the best of them, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, I'm still a 5 eight white guy. You know, it, I didn't play. And I get to coach college basketball. That's That makes me happy. You know, having you know, supportive family and wife, like that, that makes me happy. You know, you find different things that make you go. And I'm just fortunate to be able, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And, you know, to be able to leave this program and the opportunities that I've had, very thankful, but I'm also not satisfied. And so will I ever be satisfied? I don't know, but um, I want to continue to push. I want to continue to get better. I want to continue to learn and, uh, you know, have the mindset every day of, you know, what can I do to be better? How can I make everyone else around me better? and be a servant leader ways that you you and i will never be satisfied will be in our desire to constantly be learning you just said that you're like you're always wanting to be learning you know i learned the other day i had through social media i have a buddy jordan lawley um who i think does a really good job he posted something about the the seven thirty eight fifty five rule of communication are you familiar with that i'm not so I wasn't either and talk, just talk about elements of communication and 55% of communication is body language. 38% is your voice or your tone, which leaves 7% for spoken words. So if I'm trying to communicate with you, literally 7% of that communication is my spoken word. I can say like, Oh, great job tonight, Brian, heck of a win. Like, and you're, you're like, well, thanks jerk. Right. Cause I sound sarcastic or not authentic yep. and maybe tone. I'm slow. Yeah. My tone I'm slouched over. And so I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, Holy smokes. How many times have we as coaches tried to tell a player something and they don't get it? And we're like, how stupid are you? But in reality, 7% of what we told them was actually what we told them. 
and 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 learning that way. I, I seven thirty eight fifty five rule. I, I thought that that was that was wild. And one of the things too with with learning that I'm I'm trying to teach kids and my my dad. I've, I've referenced this quite a bit. Is he said you know a spoken truth is temporary while a discovered truth is permanent. And I love that because I can tell you or I can tell a player. 10,000 times to do something and they might not ever get it. And then they have that light bulb moment and they're like, Hey coach, I just, you know, I think I should do this. And you simultaneously want to high five them while smack them. Cause you're like, dude, I told you that a thousand times, but it took that moment of discovery for them. And so as a coach, I'm trying to, to, to learn how to be better at that, how to be a better communicator, understanding that my words are just a, a, a brief segment of that but also I'm trying to just trying to be I'm just trying to connect with players and and be better so how are some things you know what are some things that you do maybe daily weekly monthly I know you're always talking about learning how do you how do you grow as a as a person as a coach yeah you just have to have that mentality and just going off what you said before we jump to the next question but you were talking about you know different different ways to reach people and there's so much that goes into that trust factor first and that relationship. They have to know that you're in the trenches to make them better. Yep. You're not just telling them what to do. Yep. You know, there's different ways of engaging people. You can, you can learn by, you know, talking to them or you can teach them by talking to them, engage them. You can give them a book to read. You can use audio visual stuff. You can, you know, have a one-on-one discussion, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ask more questions. Yeah. Something that I've challenged myself. I met with Scott Saver over the break and he's, you know, really, really good at what he does and trying to, you know, he's worked with some Minnesota teams and the Lakers and different things. And he, he really challenged my thinking. And one was, Hey, I challenge you to ask more questions. Makes you a better listener, you know, demonstrating things, you know, doing it. And then once they can teach other people, like you said, that aha moment of recognizing when that person actually said what you were trying to get at for a long time and they can teach other people, you know, that's when, you know, that's the most powerful one is you could, you can have them teach what you're trying to do. Um, you know, one of the things I've challenged myself this new year, um, is trying to be the fastest learner in the room. How can you be the fastest learner in the room? Well, one is ask questions to listen, you know, and, you know, continue to push yourself to be better. You know, ha- sometimes, you know, there's different things that go along with it, but you got to continue to get better. You can't have that. I have arrived mindset. Um, you can't have, you got to have practice humility every single day in some way, shape or form, but you have to understand that you don't know everything. Um, but at the same time, like you do have a lot of value that you can provide to other people. Um, but you know, you got to continue to just keep getting better. Um, I try and read some, you know, you try and invest about 30 minutes a day in yourself. Um, sometimes you put yourself on the back burner when you're so busy working as much as you do, you know, there's, there's endless things that could be going on, you know, but you have to take care of yourself first before you can learn and help other people. So, you know, not putting your health on the shelf and, you know, as a coach, it's so easy to eat poorly when you're traveling and not sleeping right and you're doing different things. So you got to continue to invest in yourself. And then same thing it does with knowledge. Um, take time to listen to podcasts, you know, read more books. Um, you know, look at, there's so much, so many tools with social media that we can use now to help us, you know, get better. And, and then learn from your mistakes, you know, write things down, you know, don't, don't have an ego. Like you don't know everything. Understand that the self-awareness factor goes in with yourself. 
And no better example of how to teach people is than you do it yourself. You could say things, but if you're not doing them, it doesn't matter. Um, and so just continuing to do that and, and bring the juice every day and you know, help others learn and they can see you. Just remember, they're always watching. It's like a parent. Your kids are always watching. Same thing as a coach. They're always watching what you're doing and you're always on stage. It's something like Coach Fox used to say all the time. You're always on stage. You're always on stage. You're wearing that logo. You know, what are you doing every single day? to make sure that you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You know, you, you mentioned you're representing your program. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you mentioned social media and you know, just like how helping yourself improve. Like there's so many things out there, right? Listening to podcasts, you know, the, the education platform, it just seems to be endless at the same time. There is a part of me that when I talk to coaches, that I think we overuse that. Um, you know, we have, there's so much content and I put a ton of it out myself, set plays, offensive and defensive stuff, practice plans, ideas. But what I can find too is that you have some coaches that really struggle with any type of structure because, hey, I saw something new last night and I want to add this play and the next thing you know, it's December and we're on our fourth offense if we only played two games. Because we're like, oh, this was great. I want to do this. So this is like, I have coaches that reach out all the time that are all like, hey, I want to do this. I want to do this. It's like, I think you're losing your structure. So in this information age, how do you, A, have the humility to make adjustments and understand when you've made mistakes, but also B, stick to your identity as a team and not just be so hyper aggressive to make changes when they're not necessary? Yeah, the word that you used was identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with identities is your values. So, you know, when you, you combine those things, you end up with a culture of what you're trying to accomplish. There is so much information out there, and you got to use it the right way. It also can be overwhelming. You know, you, you question yourself, and you're always, like, thinking about different things, especially as a head coach. That's something that I think I've grown in the last year. Last year, you know, it was a lot of trial and error stuff. There was a lot of, you know, as a first-year coach, like, you got to ask other people. You got to ask a lot of other people, but at the end of the day, a good coach understands what he has, understands what the strengths of his team are and finds a way to maximize those strengths. Yes, things evolve and change over time, but you should have a general idea of how you want to play both offensively and defensively, what your philosophies are or what your non-negotiables are. You know, I'm not going to allow middle or, you know, my main thing is going to be toughness and rebounding. Okay. So, what drills are you doing in practice? What, you know, what things are you constantly talking about? And what are you going to live and die by? Okay. The other stuff, you know, it's probably the most fun part about your job is, you know, there's always challenging things. And what do you see on film? And, you know, the actual basketball coaching of outwitting and outperforming your opponent and other coach across the way. Um, yeah, that's where, you know, some of the great coaches kind of have separated themselves of, you know, being great masterminds of, you know, basketball and things like that. That's where, you know, I've been been very fortunate to work for seven, eight different head coaches and done a lot of different things. And, you know, I see things now that I didn't see before and seeing five guys on the floor and on the off the ball instead of, you know, just the guy involved in the ball and the action. Yeah. So, you know, as you continue to evolve as a coach and as a basketball brain, you know, that stuff's so important. But at the same time, you got to remember the people that you're coaching, what level are you coaching? You can overcomplicate things. You can make things harder than they need to be. You know, the game can be super simple. You know, one of the guys on my staff, he 
sometimes says like states the obvious a lot, but like it's probably right. You know, <laughs> hey coach, we need to like, hey, we just need to box out. You know, like what? Like, come on, no, like then you got to teach the how. What is what does that mean? You know, you could you could find all the tools in the world with the internet. It's awesome, but at the same time, like you got to understand. You know, it's not just a play. Why are they doing? You know, what are they trying to accomplish? What mismatch are they trying to attack? What skill set are you trying to attack? Are they better going right? Are they going left? You know, what adjustments are you going to make? And so, you know, one of the strengths of our team this year, when you talk about identity, ours is actually diversity. So something that I think converts into a championship caliber team is a team that can play in multiple types of ways. We can win in a low scoring game. We can score in a high scoring game. We can play against zones. We can play against mans. We can play against junk and presses. You know, there's a lot of different things as our team that we have strengths and, you know, weaknesses too, is you got to find a way to hide your weaknesses, you know, exploit other people's weaknesses. But, you know, that's game, that's strategy. That's a, that's a fun part. But yeah, with social media, there's so many tools out there with, you know, the tools that we have and you got to utilize them, you know, but at the same time, like you got to understand who you are first, you know, yeah, one or two adjustments may make the difference, but if you're doing different things, they're not going to know what to do. You're just going to create more confusion. And the last thing you want is confusion. And, you know, especially later in the year, you got to have an identity of who you are and what you believe in, and then you live and die by it. And that's one thing that we've had with this group is, you know, we, we've fixed the off-the-court things, the focus, the attitudes, the efforts, you know, the toughness, instilling it with value-based behaviors. And now we're actually getting into coach, and this is, you know, the most fun time for us. You know, we've had some recent success, and it's, it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's fun. That's that is awesome. And I get I get excited about learning how other people do things and some of the the I I love the wordage that you use. I think we've as we've talked about communication, like being clear in your communication, being great yep. communicator. Clarity is number 1. Has to be. It has to be. So, being, you know, looking back on your career, you know, being a young coach, having to make decisions, we've touched on all that stuff. If you say right now you have a couple openings on your staff and you're looking to hire a young coach, what are what are some things that you are looking for in a young coach? Um, you know, one would be someone who's a good person. You know, that would be number one. And I'm going to call every person that you work with, no, you know, players, you, I'm going to do my research and my homework because, you know, who you hire is who your program is. And if you have any type of internal issues, you know, that's how, that's why we have so much turnover. That's how you have, you know, people that are not doing things right ethically and, you know, other stuff like that. So people that are going to work extremely hard um, would be number one. I, I would say loyalty, trust. You, know, you can't be a cheater in our day and age. You've seen it so much. Someone that brings me value. Someone's going to make me better. Um, so one of the, you know, each one of my three assistants does something that I did not know or capable of doing. So one is really good at like a matchup zone and more zone defenses and stuff. I've never really worked for a really good zone coach, you know, and he brought, you know, Georgia state zone to our program and a matchup zone, but now Tulane is having success with. And it's, it's, it's been fun to learn from him and that stuff. And he's like, he loves video and he brings, he sends me European stuff. We put in like a zone play the other day and we scored five points off it. And like nothing makes me more excited as a <laughs> yeah. coach. You know, he, he finds his random stuff and he, he's awesome at it. You know, one of my coaches played, you know, the professional player. He played Division One at Florida Gulf Coast. You know, he's so good with the relationships and in the gym with them at nighttime and can relate to these guys. It's something that I can't do. You know, he's he's really good at that. And, 
Um, and then the other assistant I have is very similar to me, uh, but he's like a master leadership coach. And he just understands human beings like the best relationship guy. And he does everything that, you know, not that I don't want to do, but like you, when you're working and you do all these things, you're like, your boss doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. You know, your boss, doesn't, he doesn't know what I'm doing. This guy just doesn't, doesn't say a word. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's, it's been so valuable as a head coach to allow your coaches to coach, mm-hmm. you know, bring value. Don't complain, you know, just do the best job at your job and then bring me value. And you can never have the I have arrived mindset. Like you can't get complacent, just like your players and your team. Like you got to keep the carrot for your staff too. You know, you got to find a way to develop your staff. And that's something that as a young coach is hard, especially for me, you know, we're all 28 to 32 years old, yeah. all four of us. And so it's like, you know, there's some, you know, everyone's well, it's like a power struggle. Sometimes there's egos that slip into the room, you know, you know, we've all basically had a lot of the same experiences in different lights um, and have opinions on it. But at the end of the day, like the head coach is technically in charge and he gets to pick, but you got to make your staff feel valued. Um, it is hard. It is really, really hard. That's the one thing that I probably struggle with the most as a young coach, you know, besides the discipline factor with your players, because I was a relationship guy and wanted to be, you know, kind of buddy, buddy with them at times. But as a head coach, you can't do that anymore. Um, yeah. As an assistant, you can like, you're in the trenches with them. You know, as a head coach, you're also, <laughs> you know, the face of your organization. So it's different. And I miss that as an assistant, but at the same time, like I wouldn't trade what it is, but you got to have people that are going to work hard, going to do the right thing, going to be loyalty, loyal and trustworthy to you and find ways to make me better. Um, you know, on the grander scheme, I think the higher level you go, um, you have to have a niche. Yeah. So from, so mine has kind of become recruiting and diversity. You know, I could do the technology. I'm really good at the relationships and now I've studied culture. And I think that the culture part of I can relate to anybody and I could do it at an accelerated rate, I think makes me more, you know, employable here in the future. And if I continue to win, you want to hire winners and people that can get players because at the end of the day, players are what make your program. And you got to have good players that are willing to work hard and good people. Um, but finding those people is hard, being able to evaluate and recruit. Um, you got to have someone in your corner, like who can you call right now and get you a player? Mm-hmm. Who do you feel so who do you have such a powerful relationship with that would go to the end of the world to help you? And I've been doing that for 15 years to help other people. And I think, you know, when my time comes to, you know, ask more favors of other people, um, investing in that is so powerful and so, you know, valuable long term and knowing what you want out of life. So just keep keep plugging away and doing the right things. And, you know, you can't get bitter. You can just keep getting better. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard in this profession because you know, how did so-and-so get a job? Why are they so lucky? You know, how did the NBA guy just come here and steal this job? Like, does not make sense? Like, it's not fair. This business is not fair. Coaching is not fair. Basketball is not fair. Life's not fair. Get over it. Figure it out. Keep working hard. Do what you're supposed to do. I think we live in a society of instant gratification. Um, and I, I, I have so many people that come to me and they want to do something for me and that's great, but they want to do like one little thing. And then they're like, Hey, now I need you to do this for me. Like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like that's, that's not how this works. Now I'm more than willing to help people. I want to help people, but it's like Gary Vaynerchuk always talks about give, 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 give. And then maybe you can ask, right? Like provide value provide, 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 help people out. 
I, I mean, I had it was Coach Gamelli at uh, South or at University of South Dakota. It was his birthday the other day, and I started thinking back. I'm like, you know what? I knew him a little bit, and he got me the job at Waldorf. He didn't need to, but he made a call for me without me even knowing. And I look back on that, like how that impacted the direction of my life and getting that like first top assistant job was huge. But all he did was give, give, give. And then down the road, it's like, hey, you know, you work out some players. Do you think that, do you, he's like, hey, are there guys there that that slipped through the radar, under the radar? Can, can you maybe help me target some guys or tell me who I should look at? And I'm like, yeah, I'm more than willing to help you. But I know he didn't help me for the sake of, like he wanted something in return. He helped me because he's a great guy. And I think that's how coaches, you know, that's how this works. And I get a ton of kids that that want the full-time job. Like, I, yeah, duh, we all want that. I grinded for seven, for five years without making hardly any money. And then I got a job that was a 1000 bucks a month and a dumpy dorm apartment for free. You know, and, and you got all these people that are like, yeah, I want to break into the college game, but man, there's not enough money in it. You know, what do you say other than like, shut up and get out of here? What do you say to people that, that complain about that or, or aren't willing to take a volunteer assistant job? Well, you know, you did it. I did it. You have to, for what you want, they say sacrifice equals reward. At some point, you're going to have to sacrifice and do things that you don't want to do to get to where you want to be, mm-hmm. you know, and we've all been there. You know, there's a lot of guys. There's way more people that want to be in college basketball than there are jobs. Yeah. It's a sacrifice. You got to find, you know, a, a partner who wants to work with you and willing to move around. You got to hustle. You got to find different ways um, to make money. You know, like I said in the beginning, like, you know, live in a dorm like you did. You know, find a way to eat for free. It's not as much money you make. It's how much money you keep. Yeah. And, you know, find different ways to grind for that money. You know, it's working a kid out at night in the town. If it's, you know, working a second job, a night shift, you know, finding different ways. And then take advantage of every opportunity that you have because you never know how quickly they'll be gone or who's watching. Because, you know, that that's you never know who's watching or who's going to make that phone call, like you said. You got to treat everybody the right way. You got to keep learning. And, you know, when that hard work meets an opportunity, you know, that's when you have, you know, you get that. You never know, man. You just keep preparing, keep preparing, and you'll have a presence about yourself that people will remember because they're going to remember you. You know, they have, a, everyone's got an impression of you and they're going to say things. And, you know, you may focus on the 5% that say negative things about you, but, you know, is that really what matters? You know, you just got to find a way to just, keep pushing forward and keep doing what you're supposed to do and work as hard as you freaking can. And then you, no task is too small. You know, yes, money matters. It does matter, you know, and you know, you got to grind for it and you kind of runs our society. But at the same time, like if you do what you love and you find, you can find a way to make money doing what you love. And, you know, if you want to coach college basketball, there's no magical solution. And if you didn't play, especially, or you didn't have, you know, somebody that, you know, powerful last name or something like you got to work for it and you got to work 10 times as hard as anyone else and just put that chip on your shoulder and keep working and working and working, you know, volunteer assistants come, come and go. And, you know, people are going to remember and you just got to work for good people that are not going to use you and can help you and want to invest in you because that's what this world's about. It's like I said before, it's a, it's not a basketball business, it's a relationship business. And you people that are going to be around you that make you better every single day. 
you made a comment uh, a while ago about, or to, I think towards the beginning of getting getting a job because of a guy that used to work camp. You know, I look at my Wisconsin Badger camp connections when I used to work that back in the day. I trained like five guys that played there. I'm connected to coach it. Like all, uh, I met so many people that were at the same. We were at the same time in life, uh, at the same stage that those connections that we built had a lasting impact. And now 12 years down the road, we still have those, I think, which is, is very valuable. Um, as we kind of pull this to a close, we do have some segments that I want just to quick rattle off as, as quickly as you can. And um, the first one, you know, the drawing board being the name of the podcast, you know, thinking about you know, going back to the drawing board, you know, as coaching at a college level, whenever we needed to make a big adjustment or, you know, you just feel like stuff's hitting the fan and flying everywhere. You got to answer that question. You know, when, when you got to go back to the drawing board, how do you adjust when something isn't working, whether it's in life, um, on the court, you know, how do you, how do you audit yourself? What's your process? Yeah. So something that, you know, this is, this has been a struggle as a head coach, but you know, your initial point of contact and how you react. So what I would say is what I've tried to practice, it's, it's hard, I'm telling you, it's hard, is you got to pause for a second. You just pause. There's so much power in pausing. You pause before you react. Give yourself time, space, and opportunity to think before you react because that's so important. Mm -hmm. If you can keep your group calm in times of adversity, you know, and then trust what you know. You know, trust the work that you have and trust your players or whatever that adjustment is on the drawing board and, you know, on and off the floor. But at the end of the day, like, you got to give yourself time, space, and opportunity to think. you got to invest in yourself. And you got to keep growing um, and, you know, trust what you what you know. And, you know, if you don't know, that's why you have the people around you mm -hmm. to help you. Yep. Who, what is your favorite follow Social media wise, doesn't have to be basketball related, could be anything. We're big social media people. So what's your favorite follow or who? <laughs> You'll laugh at this one. So you know, it's not like a celebrity thing or something like that. But uh, my wife's grandparents, um, her grandpa recently passed away, but their comments on social media are the <laughs> absolutely funniest thing to me sometimes. <laughs> you know, you get the older generation and they're like writing you a personal citation on a post or on a retweet or something and i absolutely love it you know yeah that i hope someday when we're when we're old and i'm that guy that like can say something public like not care like the filter's gone and <laughs> you know that type of thing i want to be that guy that just you know can make people laugh and things like that it's just absolutely ridiculous but you know just just that type of stuff the the support that you get on social media is you know it seems like it shouldn't really matter and it, it really shouldn't in the grand scheme of things, but it's a big, it's a big thing in our society right now. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's very cool to have, you know, people retweet or help you. And there's a lot of people that are helping me personally. You know, I, I've hired an agent. He posts and does different things, but like the rising coaches guys, they're, they're a organization that has its own podcast and they've been really powerful in my development as a coach and, you know, kind of been a plug for me. You know, guys like uh, Juco Recruiting and Juco Advocate and even the guys that runs Mullins, there's like three main writers that rank players and different things in junior college. They help my players get recruited. Um, those guys have some power and pull when they have followers. And, you know, even like you, like you're you're giving me an opportunity to, 
you know, brand myself a little bit and, you know, hopefully provide some value on your, your drawing board podcast and your website. And, you know, we're, we're here to help each other. And that's what this world is about. I love it. Uh, our next segment called 2020 thinking hindsight is 2020 looking back. Can you give an example quickly of someone that had a huge impact on your career that you didn't realize in the moment? I didn't realize in the moment. Yeah, did I um, did I stump you? That's what I'm going for you, here, yeah, man. Like, yeah, so so you gotta give me time, space, and opportunity. Yeah, you know, okay. Yeah. But before I answer the answer this question, um, there's been a lot of players that I've kind of helped along the way um, that have taught me a lot about life. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't always understand what's going on in certain kids' lives, and you know, being there to support them and help them, and you know, the messages that you receive when they thank you and different things like that. Seeing the recruiting process through. Um, with some of these kids when, you know, you don't promise them things, but you know, like, Hey, you come here, you do your job. I hope you get a division one. And, you know, I've had 23 guys sign division one out of my program. And that stuff's very rewarding, not only to see them, but also myself. Um, just kind of like, Hey, give you a little bit of a pat on the back of like what you're doing really makes a difference. Um, but there have been a lot of people that have been really powerful in helping me get to where I want to be. And, you know, I could name a lot of different people that, have been there from the beginning and different things, but you know, there's different people that you have in your corner. Those five to 10 people that are in your inner circle, the favorites on your iPhone, those people that you call and that you trust, you know, I can name a lot of them, you know, Jason Allison at App State, you know, Joe Esposito worked with me at Minnesota. Um, you know, you go through a Chad Van recent who worked with me at Missouri State West Pines, like literally taught me so much about basketball. Like he was one of the smartest brains and no one knows who Chad really is. I mean, Chad's at Iowa Western now, but like Chad was like one of the smartest guys and taught me so much about basketball, you know, and then you got to thank the people that hired you, you know, Tubby Smith, you know, Dan Munson, James Ware uh, brought me in at Minnesota. Yeah. You know that I was so fortunate to do that. Um, you know, all those managers I work with, you know, some of my best friends, I know, you know, Andre Phillips really well. And Andre's doing really well. Mom was talking Tyler B1 at the Blake school. And like, those guys are like part of your life. And, you know, mm-hmm. they're not only your friends, but they're your family. And, you know, you're just, they're your coaching boys, you know, but at the same time, that's my life. That's my circle. And, you know, those people, I'm, I'm so thankful for so many people, you know, coach Fox, mm-hmm. you know, he, he brought me in, he taught me so much about basketball. And I didn't realize so many things when he was going through as a head coach of what he was really saying. And now I kind of do. And I understand like, I even feel guilty at times, Yeah. you know, like, did I, did I do everything right? You know, Yancey Walker gave me my first full, you know, job as a coach, gave me t- coach on my title. You know, Ron Jersa, I talk to him all the time. He's at Radford. You know, he's been very instrumental in life stuff, more or less, not just basketball. You know, and then Thomas Gray, who brought me here at Southwest and the people here at Southwest. You know, the president and the AD have enough confidence in me to give me a chance and opportunity. And I don't want to mess it up. You know, I hope to make a lot of people proud. But, you know, there's always negative things going on all the time. And my first year as a head coach was a challenge. And there's days where I wanted to quit. But, you know, having those inner people that are around you that, you know, can pump you up and, and be there for you and give you the chills and, you know, and then it's family too. You know, we talked about that at the beginning. You need, you need that support system. You know, it's your wife, your wife's family, my own family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's your why? What's your purpose? What's your take home? 2020, I probably gave you 20 things. So no, I love it. Things. And you actually, there was two. That, there was, that's, that's the power. There was two There was two parts to that. And the second part we were going to talk about is, you know, because basketball has given me my best friends. 
Um, you know, two guys that flew to Ohio that were with me when my mom died, like doesn't get much closer than that. And, and, and you're, you're saying the same thing, like your best friends, those people that grinded in the trenches with you, they stick around. Um, are you, so you're from Wisconsin. I should have asked you this before, but are you a, are you a Minnesota sports fan? Like pro sports team? Or so I'm, a, you... I'm a confused, I'm a confused <laughs> sports fan. So first of all, so I'm, I'm from, you know, I grew up in Illinois and like outside Chicago. So I was about third grade. And then we moved to Wisconsin. Okay. My dad is from St. Louis and my mom was from uh, Chicago. So I, my dad was like an avid St. Louis Cardinal football fan. And in the eighties when they moved to, or I don't know the exact time frame, but when they moved to Arizona, my dad was like, screw the Cardinal. Like they left. I'm going to become a Bears fan. So I'm a Chicago Bears fan, and I'll tell you something. Growing up in Wisconsin, being a Bears fan was absolutely brutal. Um, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers killed me for years, and then when I moved to Minnesota, and you like when you move around the country, you like hate the fans that you live where you live more than anyone. So like Packer fans growing up hated them. Then I moved to Minnesota, hated Minnesota fans. Then we yeah. then I moved to Missouri, and Kansas City was really good. Then I went to North Carolina, and that was when Cam Newton was good in Panthers. And those Panther fans, I'm like, come on, get out of here. Then I moved down here, and everyone cheers from New Orleans. Yeah. So, like, they've had some good football teams and different things. Um, I would say I'm a St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan. You know, I'm not a huge hockey guy. I, I could guess I could claim the wild. My dad, like, the Blues growing up, and they want to, you know, I couldn't tell you 10 players in the NHL. So, yeah. I don't know if that really matters that much. Uh, NBA, I grew up loving the Bulls. Chicago Bulls, I was a Michael Jordan Phenom. I listened to every single game on the radio. We didn't have cable TV. I would listen to games on the radio and I would go to sleep. Yeah. I had a calendar growing up and like would track wins on it. And, you know, I had every sports card there ever imagined could be. Um, but, you know, now I think I'm more a fan of people. Yeah. Um, you know, players, you know, like that more than actual fans. I think the more you're in this profession, you um, fall in love with human beings rather than teams or place. Now, NFL is a little different, I think, you know, Major League Baseball, things like that. But, my wife is a Viking fan. We have our battles. You know, we joke about who's a better fantasy football player, things like that. It's it's a great time. Um, but I'm a Gopher fan. At the end of the day, you know, I went to school there, and I love PJ Fleck and what he's doing and the facilities they've done, and you know, different things. And you know, someday down the road, I hope to be back there and working there. And you know, my dream job is probably be the head coach in Minnesota one day. But I'm a Gopher man. At the end of the day, and you could say what you want to say, but you're not going to change my mind on that. Well, so. Being a Minnesota sports fan, we can just kind of gear this off towards the Gopher, the Gophers. Which terrible Minnesota sports moment haunt, haunts you the most? That's the question here. You know, I laugh at things. <laughs> like when Brett Favre threw that pass. Like you could play it a hundred times and I would just laugh. And the, the reason why we love sports so much is not so much like is we get invested in it and there's no reason to. Yeah. But that's what makes sports so powerful is like it affects your mood and it in other things. But like the fact that people let that bother them just cracks me up as a human being. Mm -hmm. Like why why do you, you why do you care so much about something that you can't control and has no control over your happiness? Yeah. But in reality, like that's the power of sports and it is so freaking cool and that, you know, it's unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And amazing sports moments like that are are just just the best they're just the best so i i laugh at that because it was brett Favre who i wasn't a fan of and then it was the vikings so like it was like best of both worlds for me <laughs> who is the toughest player and it doesn't have to be the highest rank but the toughest player you've ever coached against 
Like, man, that guy's a bucket. Ooh. I stumped you like, again. Like, best player, you're saying, like, phys- physical toughness. Or just, like, the best game, like... You know, I get guys that were like, hey, man, like Jared Bergeron's like, dude, I played against Porzingis overseas. Like he was good. Yeah. But then you got other guys that like they talk about like just this no namer that was just like, yo, he's a bucket. Who you got? <laughs> um, at the time, like there's different things that like stick out in my mind. And, you know, being at Minnesota for eight years, you got to do some really cool things. And you, you remember the moments that were positive in your your life. Um, of different things of like different guys doing certain things like performances like Lawrence Westbrook at Wisconsin when they beat him like Trevor and Bakwe when we beat Indiana and like one team in the country Andre Holland scoring 41 points at Memphis um, you know different against Memphis and that's where he was that, from like, yeah that's different things like that you know there's different guys toughest this is hard so Victor Victor Oladipo was like the fastest dude I've ever seen in person and I was like with the ball and like running up and down the court on film and different things. Like, and that was when he was a freshman. I was like, this kid's going to be pretty good. Um, you see random highlight tapes. So you get sent thousands of them, like as a coach. And there was a random one that got sent to us. And it was something with uh, Finley prep at the time. And we were recruiting Corey Joseph. And there was another guy on film and I had no idea who he was. And I was watching the game. And I was like, holy smokes, this dude is phenomenal. <laughs> like, coach, who is this guy? Like, we were, I'm like Googling the roster trying to figure it was Avery Bradley. Oh. And he was really, 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 really good. And the other one, so when I was a manager, I would go, like, just go to different AU events sometimes, just kind of hang out and watch. Mm-hmm. And when Brad Beal was 15, he was playing like St. Louis Eagles, like 17U or something. And he was a bucket. Yeah, like Brad Beal was really, really good to watch in person as a young kid, um, but dominating performances. You know, the best team, the team that was so underrated and no one ever talks about, was that Ohio State team that didn't win the national championship with Greg Oden. And they Con- were so Mike good. And then the per- yes, and the Purdue team where Robbie Hummel mm-hmm. didn't tear his ACL, they win the national championship. Who else was on that Tell team? You. Oh. Juwan Johnson, oh, Chris yeah. Kramer. He was a tough dude. They had a little point guard, Lewis something, Lewis Jackson or Johnson. Yeah. Um, but Robbie Hummel, Etwan Moore. Etwan Moore, dude, he's like, stuck in the you, league, man. He's still he's there. He's still in there. So different guys we played against. It's kind of cool to look back on and think about it and, you know, different guys you've had an opportunity to coach against and see. We use this in recruiting here. You'll laugh at this. So my assistant used to coach at Virginia Tech, or he was a, a manager at Virginia Tech. And so we put up a scouting report when we come in recruiting. Yeah. And the kids will come in, and we'll be like, hey, do you know what this is? And they're like half of them will know. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's a scouting report. Or, you know, and I'll be like, yeah, you know where Coach Jeff used to work? You know where I used to work? And we'd be like, they're like, yeah, you know, you said the ACC. Oh, what teams are in the ACC? And they'll be like, Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, you know, Virginia. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay, now, th- what do you think? Where do you think we got this scouting report from? And they'll be like, "Oh, from your Division One." And we're like, "Yeah." And then we'll be like, "Now we put them in the JUCO league. Do you think that's fair?" And they're like, "Oh no, not fair at all." And like <laughs> our scouting reports are like the best in the country, and they like get so heated and, and fired up about it. And you're like, "Yeah, you used to do scouting reports against, you know, Mason Plumley and you know guys at Duke and North Carolina, Harrison Barnes. Yeah, you know, different guy. Like they they go crazy for it. So it's." You know, been fortunate to see a lot of cool things 
I probably didn't answer your question the best way. More no, teams, no, I those love are, those are some of the guys. And that's what I think a lot, you know, I'll get coaches that ask me like, you know, who's the best shooter you've ever been around. I'm like Jordan Reaver. They're like, who? I'm like, dude, he was a division two walk on. He made like 317 threes from the corner in a row without, or without missing two in a row. Like people are like, what? I'm like, oh yeah, dude, I'll put him against Steph Curry or Clay Thompson in a shooting contest any day. And he'll probably win. And people are like, I have no idea who he is. I'm like, I know. Yeah. I love I love that. Well, stuff. he did. I was at USA Basketball, and they were like Mason Plumlee was 17 years old, and I had never seen this done before. So, when I was a kid, I watched uh, Coach Bennett at, at Tony Bennett, and he uh, could spin six balls at one time. What? And it was like something in my basketball brain that I like stuck in my head. He could spin two on his fingers. He had two on his knees and two on his feet, and and it was awesome. I saw it at a camp. And then I went to like certain things that you like see for the first time. You're like, oh, two ball dribbling. You've never heard of that. And all of a sudden, like someone does it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mason Plumlee used to do three ball dribbling. So you would dribble three balls at one time. Yeah. And I'd never seen that before. And there's like different things. I'm like, this dude's seven, like almost seven <laughs> feet tall. Yeah. And he's skilled enough to dribble three balls. And I could barely dribble two. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? I love But yeah, cool that stories stuff. like that that you get to see and crazy things. And, you know, I got plenty of stories, but, you know, those are. Those are some of the better ones. Well, I love it, man. I appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Um, you know, I, I appreciate one of the, the biggest thing is just like your authenticity and, and how you want to help other people. It's It's been, it's obvious that you had really good people uh, in your life uh, from your parents to, to, you know, other coaches that have built into you. So I appreciate you um, being so interested in giving back and helping other people. Um, I know you had a you had a big win the other day, second in the league right now. You got a big uh, postseason push coming up, so we wish you luck um, and look forward to following you guys in the future. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, and just just be impactful. You know, how can you make an impact on other people is kind of my take home. That's what I would say going forward: is work as hard as you can. Don't ever, you know, chase your dream. Love what you do. If you love what you do, you're not really working. And, um, you know, help as many people as you can along the way because you don't know who needs it. You know, every single moment matters and you can you can be impactful in other people's lives. And, you know, while you do it, you know, bring your best. Just keep getting better. And, you know, at the end of the day, you'll have no regrets of what you do. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Coach. Thanks. Uh, and good luck in your games next week. Thanks, sir. That was Brian Bender, head men's basketball coach at Southwest Mississippi Community College. That interview was brought to you by The Film Room, a free coach's educational platform by Catalyst Training. Featuring skill development videos, team drills, set plays, and much more, The Film Room is a coach's one-stop shop for basketball improvement. For more information, visit basketballcatalyst.com slash filmroom. I'm your host, Reed Osi. We'll see you next week.